Cool? Alright, you guys got your Bibles? It's the Word of the Lord. We're going to read from a few passages of Scripture this morning. And we're going to do our announcements at the end. We've got some notices and different things. We're going to do them at the end. But um, In my time off, I spent a lot of time with the Lord and it was just fun. And uh, I, I just don't... I very rarely go to the Lord to get a message for, the house of the, for this house. I know that might sound weird, but um, I do pray for this house very often. But I go to the Lord to get intimate with Him. I very rarely go to God to be like, I need a word for the sanctuary. And, and I'm not against that. I think there's a place for that. But I, I, I will very seldom do that. I will just go to the Lord. I'm reading. I'm trying to get through the whole, Bible, whole New Testament in 90 days just for my own um, you know, time with God and just to get it, just go for it, see if I can do it. And, um, and, but I, I don't go to God to get something, and not that I'm against that, but I go to God to get intimate with the Lord and then out of that break a bit off of my life and hopefully give, give that to, to this house and what he wants to do. And obviously he speaks specifically to us about muted. No, I'm back on. Okay. If you don't like what I'm saying, man, just, just tell me. <laughs> but um, but I, I, uh, I want to share something that's probably pretty not uncommon here, but I, I want us to go at it maybe from a different angle and a little bit of a teaching this morning. And uh, we have the three eyes here, identity, intimacy, and increase. And, you know, within that, within our identity, Jesus came, uh, he came with a, with a mission. We've used these four M's if you look on our website. He came with a mission. The mission was to destroy sin. Right? He came with a ministry. The ministry was the ministry of the kingdom. From the time, we're going to read Mark 1.11 in a moment, but from the time of Jesus, he, he, came into the, he came into the water, not the baptismal tank, he came into the water and the, the heavens opened and the dove descended and the dove found a resting place. The Holy Spirit found a resting place and it says, from that time forth he gathered his disciples and he preached the kingdom. He didn't do it before that time because he wasn't anointed with power from on high. And it says that he did that to, so that it would be fulfilled, that he would fulfill all righteousness sake. So he, Jesus didn't have sin, we know that. But he, he models the baptism of the old staying in the water and the new coming out and the Holy Spirit coming upon a person, not just in a person. He doesn't preach the kingdom of God before that because before that you don't have disciples who, who, who are supposed to follow the fulfillment of the law. You're supposed to have disciples who fulfill the preaching of the kingdom. Right? And so Jesus, um, Jesus we, we see that. And then... And then um, so he had a, ministry, a mission, a ministry, he had, a, had a, um, a message, and the message was to reveal the Father. Jesus' message was that you and I would finally realize who the Father is. Right? That's why he, he brought us into it, the prayer of our Father. And his motive, his motive was obviously love, but his motive was to bring you and I back to union with God. 
as his motive, right? So you have the ministry, mission, ministry, message, and, and motive. And so those things are super important. And, you know, we're living in a world right now where um, how many know there's truth and then there's greater truth? Even in the kingdom, there's truth and greater truth. It's like uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. Like judgment's true, but mercy triumphs. Faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope are needed, but the greatest is love. Are you with me? So there's truth and then there's greater truth. And I think what often happens if we're not careful is we live, how many know we don't live by, just by our experience? Sorry, let me rephrase that. Our experience should never um, determine truth. Truth should determine our experience. Right? And not that, those, not that our experience is like not valid, not important, not significant. By the way, Liz, how you doing? <laughs> Why don't you stand up, Liz? Just stand, Liz, stand up. Liz is, was a missionary in Cambodia, still a missionary in Cambodia. Uh, we supported Liz for a long time, and now Liz is running a, a psychology practice. Am I right? Is that what I'm doing? In Cambodia, she's over there full time, and she's with us this morning. So bless you, Liz. I meant to do it at the start and then I just forgot, so apologies. Um, we love Liz. Liz has been with this house before the beginning uh, of this house and, and we've just had a great, yeah, we've, we love you, Liz. We love you a lot, so good to have you here. Um, truth, deter- truth determines our experience. So I'm going to get back on track now, <laughs> right? So truth determines our experience. In Christianity, if we're not careful... We can create doctrines that are true, but maybe not necessarily the highest level of thinking and living that is available. Right? Let me, let me give you an example. Um, <laughs> I'm going to mess with you just on purpose, okay? But let me give you an example. People will have an experience and an, an encounter or something with the demonic, right? This just happens all the time, so I'm just going to use this as an example. But they'll have, they'll have an experience, they'll be like, I, or, let, me, let me say this way, they'll be like, oh, I, I gave my car away, and I gave my car away, and, so, uh, and then God blessed me with five more cars. So everyone needs to give their car away because you'll be blessed with five more cars. Right? No. That individual had an encounter with God where the voice of God was behind that and they obeyed. Right? But that doesn't mean it's a formula for the rest of the body of Christ. Right? Another one that which I love where people are like, hey, I, 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 I'm sick, right? Or this is not true, but I'm sick. I've heard Christians say this. They're like, I'm sick. And God has allowed me or given me this sickness because through it, I drew closer to the Lord. Now, can you draw closer to God through sickness? Does that mean he's given it and allowed it? No. Right? Because the higher, higher truth is Jesus. Right? And so we've got to be really careful. Another one with, with demonic people say, and Dean mentioned it before, and I believe, you know, there are people, they live under a generational habit or they live under a generational stronghold but the greater truth is 
that your generation has been broken and you're now a bondservant of Jesus, a son of God, you are not a part of a generational curse. And if you read your Bible, the generational curses were, were broken in, 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 uh, in numbers. God says himself, he says, I will never curse again to uh, a father's sin. That's in the Old Testament. And in the New, how many generations do we have to go back? Jesus paid the price for all sin, right? So the higher truth... Now, can you have... A, like, if my mum was an alcoholic, can I live as an alcoholic? That's not a generational curse if I'm a new believer. That's a generational habit. Now, I might not start off better than someone else who had a mum and a dad who loved them dearly and they get a, a better starting point, but that is not... An, that is not I cannot use that as an excuse to not live free because Jesus says who the Son sets free is free indeed. Right? You get, do you know what I'm saying? So there's truth in that. There's truth in that. But the greater truth is you can live free. Okay. I want to read, I want, I want you to have that mindset as we go into what we're going to do. And we're going to do a bit of a study together uh, on Jesus. And this will be really simple stuff. Um, but I really, I really feel strongly that he's this, Jesus is enough. I remember when we are going to get to Scripture. Don't worry. Just, just trust me. I remember when we came back from, uh, from Bethel, we read 17 Christian health books and like five theology books. And um, I was done with other people's opinions. <laughs> you know, we sat in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday classes. And, um, you know, we just got poured into for nine months. And it was awesome. But I remember thinking, I don't want to regurgitate someone else's revelation. Or I don't want to actually have someone else's food that they've bitten and given off. I need to have my own intimate meal with the Lord because someone else's food isn't just enough. It's good. We need it, but it's not enough. And so for two years, I didn't read any Christian self-help books. Not that I'm against reading those books. I love them. They're awesome. But I, I stopped reading them because I needed to just go for myself face to face with the Lord and go, hey, what are you saying to me? What is, what is, your truth, not my truth. I can't remember who quoted this. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill. He said, Jesus didn't come to make good men, bad men good. He came to make dead men live. Right? And so I was like, all right. What, what is, what, who are you? What are you? I need to get into the word myself. I need to be intimate with you. I need to know the truth. Because there's just a lot of opinions. There's a lot of opinions. We're living in a world full of, oh, my truth is this truth and your truth is this truth. And if we're not careful, it creeps into the church. And what, what we've got to be mindful of is Jesus determines truth. No one else. Paul said in this way in Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you what you've received through grace? You're now trying to get through, through, through works and through performance. In Galatians 1, he says, you're so quick to abandon the gospel. The gospel, the good news. I'm just convinced Jesus is enough. 
And I'm, I, I get this, right? I've been in, in, in I'm sure you, you guys can relate, anyone that's been in ministry, how, how often, do you know, like even with our staff meetings, where I was thinking about this during the week and I'm telling our staff this now, right? They're hearing it firsthand. I would rather have three hours of worship in the presence of God and one hour of strategy than three hours of strategy and one hour in the presence. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Come on. So often we want to, in our Western mindset, we're like, all right, what have I got to do? I've got to do something more. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do. I'm not against doing things. God has prepared works for us to walk in before the foundation of the world. So I'm, I'm for doing. We need to do stuff. But it's not, it's not, we're not doing something. We're not giving away our car or we're not doing something. It's like, what's the word of the Lord saying to us? Okay. All right. Mark, 11, Mark 1.11. Let's go there. How cool is this? I heard this during the week. Do you know the first word in the beginning means Benon? Benon, I think. Ben, Ben something. It means, I'm going to butcher it, but it's been. And the last word in the Bible is amen, which means on. And you put those two together and it, it, it spells, in the Hebrew, it spells out sun. It's all about the sun. That's cool. I love that. In the beginning, amen, sun. Mm, that's delicious. <laughs> All right, Mark 1, verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Pause. Mark 1, 11. And a voice came from heaven, And you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. John's gospel. John's Gospel puts it this way. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? Where do we get this phrase, the Lamb of God, from in Scripture? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go after this. Those two verses there where it says, This is my Son, the heavens rendered, this is my Son, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. The first mentions of the Lamb of God are in Genesis 22 with Isaac and Abraham and the Lamb. And the Ram, sorry, caught in the thicket. But in Genesis 22, and we'll read it so you can see, see it for you, uh, yourself in your own Bible. In Genesis 22, uh, verse 6 of start says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? That's the first mention of the lamb of God in Scripture in this way. Where, Isaac says, where is the Lamb of God? And what does Abraham respond? He says, God will provide for himself the Lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Right? 
So this is where we, we see the Lamb of God first mentioned. And Abraham, uh, a few verses down. Hold on, let me, let me find it. Sorry. Here he is. Verse uh, 16. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have helped with... If not withheld your son, your only son. Right? So here, and then before that, he says, uh, the son in whom I'm loved. So this verse in Mark 1.11, he says, And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. Some translations uh, in, in Genesis 22.16 there, he says, your beloved son. Right? So that's the first part of that verse there with Jesus, which is talking about the lamb. The second part with his, uh, where it says, with you, I am well pleased. If you go to Isaiah 42, for those that love to take notes, Isaiah 42 verse 1, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold or whom, I'm, um, whom I love, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Right? That, those two passages there, what God is quoting in, in Mark 1.11, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. It's Isaiah 20, uh, Genesis 22 and Isaiah 42. He's taking those two passages and he's bringing them together. Right? They, the Jewish people, whether they knew it or they didn't know it, he was hiding a shadow in the substance of Jesus. So in Genesis 22 and in Isaiah 42, he's hidden those two things. He says, where... Uh, Abraham says he's going to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac says, where is the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. Right? That's the clue for a shadow of the substance which is Jesus, which is to come. Are you with me? Right? And he says, my son in whom I am well pleased, whom I love. Those two verses, they're direct quotations out of those two chapters. Which is just really cool, right? So the, here, if you go to 1 Samuel 16, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. Bit of a study this morning. All right. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Because the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? Just FYI, Joseph wasn't Joseph Christ, all right? It was Jesus Christ, which means the anointed one smeared from above, right? That's what it means, or the anointed one with power, right? Are you with me, right? So Christ is not Jesus' last name. That's, that's, it's describing who he is, the anointed one, the Lamb of God, the anointed one of God who takes away sin from humanity, Right? That's what they in and with power. Right? So here here uh, one Samuel sixteen verse thirteen. Oh verse twelve. And he sent him and brought him now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he is he is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David 
from that day forth and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Right? That's where we first see this phrase, the anointing of the Lord, come into, into Scripture in a prominent way, is in the book of Samuel. And so this, this phrase, the anointing, the anointing of the Lord linked with the Ram of, Lamb of God, I want you to think with me for, for a moment. So here we have Jesus, the Lamb of God, right? He's, and he's declaring, he says, the heavens are opened. God says, this is my son in whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. He's done no ministry. It's not about what he's done in, up until that moment. It's about what the Father has declared over him. Right? And how often in our lives, this is where I want to go this morning, but how often in our lives, all right, I've got to do something more. I've got to do, I've got, I need a breakthrough in this. I need, you know, whatever it is, right, in our lives. I need, need these things or I need in, in whatever. We fill in the blanks or I'm struggling with this sickness or I've got this thing going on in my world right now or, you know, I need finances or whatever it is, right? And we're like, oh, I need to go to another conference. I need to go to this. I need to do these things. I need to get more of the anointing. The Lamb of God lives inside of you. That's the higher truth. Christianity is not a development, it's a discovery. You want to walk in greater revelation and greater anointing, become more intimate. I love, I was, I was reading 1 Corinthians, this isn't a part of my notes, but I just, I just want to read it over us because I just felt the Lord's peace over it for our house. Just listen to the way Paul talks to the Corinthian church. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, Jesus called to be saints. Together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, right? Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are no, not lacking any gift as, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. That's how Paul prays about the Corinthian church. He says, I pray that you would realize the revelation of the fullness of Christ in you, that you wouldn't be lacking in any gift. Oh, that's amazing. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Peter 1 says that you and I are partakers of the divine nature. You're a partaker of the lamb. What does Jesus say? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And thousands left. Because they thought he was talking about cannibalism. <laughs> like this is weird. Is this like some vampire thing where we drink blood and eat, eat people's flesh? He's, no. He's talking about be a partaker of the lamb of God. The anointing of God. What is it in Matthew 25? It says have your oil, your lamp full with oil. But I want to I want to put you in place there right now with where God says this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what the father 
says over you and I before even any ministry. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can do from a spiritual... Yes, I believe in reward. I believe in growth. I believe in all of those things. But listen, if we're not careful... If we're, if we're not careful, what the Christian world loves to do is we make idols out of... We're like, Paul says it a bit later on. He says, are you of Paul? Are you of Silas? Are you of Apollos? Do you know Apollos, it says he was an eloquent man. He spoke really well in Acts 18, I think it is. It's of Apollos, he was a very eloquent man and spoke brilliantly. And so you could almost put those two together and say, well... I like Apollos better because he speaks eloquently and Peter doesn't speak as eloquently and so I don't like him. And what Paul's addressing there, he's saying, is Christ divided? What's he doing? He's cutting, Paul is cutting down any celebrity-based Christianity in the early church. Oh, I like Apollos better than... I like it, I like it when there's lights and smoke machines. I don't, personally. I don't, have, I don't want smoke machines ever in our church. I'll tell you why. Because when the glory of God shows up, I want to know it's the real glory, not the fake glory. That's why I want smoke machines. All right? That's personally, I'm not against it, by the way. But I'm just saying, maybe I am. <laughs> but my point is, we need to come up to a higher level of thinking where it's not, hey, this church, that church, my church, your church, our church. I like, I like it when we have drums and bass. I like a full worship band too. Don't get me wrong. But it's not about that. Those are byproducts out of we're here to get intimate with him. That's why we're here. I don't have a growth strategy for this church. I don't. I don't have one. I trust him that he said he'll build the church. It's his job. I'm not against growth strategies. I just personally don't have one. Dean might. No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Jesus. The Lamb of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know in Genesis, in Genesis 22, I'll take a little side trail for a second. When I talk about higher truth, this is one of those that I, I think we need to get right. There's three times, I don't have time to teach on it, I taught on it maybe six months to a year ago. There's three times where um, shadow and types, you guys know what I mean by that, shadow and types? So you have a shadow in the Old Testament and the type in the New is Jesus, the shadow points to Jesus. Right? I, I, love, I love the shadows and types, right? They're all throughout scripture. You look at the dove landing on Jesus, right, and remaining, Noah's Ark. Right, he releases the dove from Noah's ark. Right, Noah's ark is walking on water. That's Jesus. Jesus is the ark. Right? Yes? The baptism of Noah, it cleanses the old. It doesn't leave a little bit of the remnant of the old in. None of the old comes through to the new land. And what does he do when he plants the new land? He plants a vineyard. What is Jesus' first miracle? Turning water into wine. What's the water? You and I, without Christ. What does he do it in? Six clay pots. What's the number six? Man. Jesus takes six clay pots. What are we made out of? The clay of the earth. Jesus takes six clay pots and he takes something natural and makes it supernatural, which is his natural. 
right? Noah's Ark. That's Noah's Ark. That's he lands on the, on the land. That's a picture of Jesus. This whole book is about the son. It's about the son. So with Isaac, with the story of Isaac, what was, what was happening? Was Isaac being punished for sin? Abraham was being tested. It wasn't about punishment for sin. Is Isaac a shadow of Jesus on the cross? Absolutely. Where's the other shadows? We have two more in scripture. The Passover lamb. Was the Passover lamb a punishment for sin? No. It was a protection. The blood on the doorpost. Did, did the Israelites punish the lamb? No, they cut it, killed it, and made a meal offering to the Lord. And the other one is the atonement lamb found in Leviticus. Those three, none of them are, are God punishing sin. They're always the lamb atoning for sin. Very different. Anyway, we're going to leave that there. We're going to move on. My point is this, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did he do it? Not counting their trespasses against them. How did it, finally, Jesus goes to the cross not to appease a wrathful God, but to atone for sin. Yeah? He atones for sin so that God can in Christ reconcile humanity because there has to be a shedding of blood for a new covenant to be inaugurated. Jesus sheds the blood for humanity so that God can, through Jesus who became sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? Atone for sin so that you can live free. Come on. Oh, yeah? Because people often say, well, God was pouring out his wrath upon Jesus. And it's like, well, in Romans, it says that there's wrath to come. So if God poured his wrath about upon Jesus, all right, I'm going off, going off, we're going to leave it there. We'll do a study on that another time. All right, go to John 17. <laughs> we're nearly done. Why did I share that and why is that important? It's important because I believe that Christians get saved. Do you know it's not enough to believe in God? The devil believes in God. Yeah? It's a surrender of your will. It's, it's confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord. He is who he says that he is. And we invite him in. We ask him in. He's, at, he's standing at the door. He knocks, but we invite him in. Many Christians get saved because they believe in Jesus. But not many get transformed because they don't believe that God believes in them. And I believe many Christians, they're saved. They're in the kingdom. It's not a salvation issue. That's been dealt with. But they stay the same. They live the same. They live and look exactly like the world. 
because they don't actually believe that God actually likes them. They believe that he loves them, but they actually don't believe that God likes them. And that we have this dual nature thing. We have this dual mindset thing where they're like, it's performance. It's like, I did this for years where I'm like, if I read my Bible, if I came to church, if I didn't sin, if I didn't do all these things, right, that, I would, that God's well pleased with me and now I'm, uh, now I'm highly favoured of God. And it's like, no, no. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's not about performance. But when we realize that and we realize, oh, I actually have a father who likes me, who loves me and who's for me. When I, be, when I behold the lamb, I behold Jesus. When I'm intimate with, with him in my quiet time, I get fed off his voice. I get fed off his nature. I get fed off who he says that I am and who he is. And I see the transformation begin to take place. That's the renewed mind. And I start to live out of that reality, not my reality that's in front of me. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? I remember, I'm not against fasting by the way, but, but I remember people, they fa- people fast, like, I'm going to fast so that I can get this breakthrough. And that's, I'm not against that. Right? But fast, fa- it's faith that moves God. Higher truth. Are you fasting to get a breakthrough or is the breakthrough already happened and all you need to do is actually align yourself with the lamb? Come on. Right? So often we're like, I'm going to fast so that I get a breakthrough. I'm not against fasting, but I'm just saying, be very careful that you don't move into this place of I'm going to pray and, it, and God only moves when I go on a hunger strike. <laughs> By the way, I fast every night. Between about 9 and 7 every night, maybe 10. 10 and 7, I'm fasting every night. And then I break fast in the morning. <clears throat> I hope you're catching this. It's not fasting that moves God. Please, please. It's you live under an open heaven. You live under an open heaven. That heaven's been rendered. The dove's in you, upon you. You're anointed by the Lord. You're graced by God. Did you know the word anointing? I said it means Christ with power. It means anointed, smeared from on high with power. The first, I was sharing this with Dean during the week. There's two times, one in Scripture and one in the early church history, where Christians are called Christian. Acts 11, it says, and that was the first time they were called Christians. Little anointed ones with power. And the second time is in about the year 1800, I think it was. One of the early church fathers says that the Christians were called Christians. Do you know who they were called Christians by? Outsiders. It wasn't the Christians that called themselves Christians. They said, we are brothers, we are followers of Jesus, we belong to the way, we are... Right? That's how they called themselves. It was the outside world that recognised this group of people move in purity and power exactly like the one they follow who's Christ. 
That's awesome because that means you don't have to puff yourself up. You don't have to big note yourself. You don't have to move in some way. All you need is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said in Corinthians, he was in Mars Hill. You know, Mars Hill was where the great theologians would go and debate about uh, all the, you know, theologies and philosophies of the day. And they would come there and they'd have their say. They'd preach for an hour or whatever. And Paul was in Mars Hill in Acts 17, I think it is. And he goes from Mars Hill to Corinth, right? So in Mars Hill to Corinth, somewhere along that road, Paul, I reckon, had a revelation because he said to Corinth, the Corinthian church, he says, I'm not coming to you in cleverness and speech, but I'm coming in demonstration of power, and I don't want to know anything about you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Somewhere along the line, Paul realized, hey, this debating thing, it's not working. It says in Mars Hill he saw a few people saved. Where Paul went, towns got saved. Somewhere along the line, Paul had a revelation, I believe, and he went, you know what? It's not just enough that I talk about Jesus. There needs to be an anointing and demonstration of the person of Jesus because he's the standard that we're following. All right, John 17, 22, and then we're done. Listen to this. The glory, what does the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the? So what was the standard? The glory. What's the glory? People get weird about this word. The glory is any manifestation of the person of Jesus. That's the glory. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. What does John 17, 3 says? This is eternal life. That you would know the Father and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That you would know God. I've, uh, I've shared this before here, but there was a time in our life when we were seeing incredible things. We were seeing miracles. We were seeing um, amazing stuff. And I want to see more of that. I'm not, I'm not like content. And Lord, I'll just read it for time's sake. But the Lord took me to Romans 8.31. He said, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Come on. How will the Lamb of God graciously not give us all things? Right? People can take that out of context and, and make it some weird gospel That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when we're so aligned with Jesus, he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can live in that or we can choose not to live in that. But we were seeing seeing incredible things. We were seeing, why don't you guys stand? Because that'll make me finish. (laughs) Um,
we were... Here's my heart for this this morning, and I'll share this story. My prayer for this house is that this house would be what it says at the front of our door is to know Jesus and to make him known. Not as a concept, not as a mist, not as a, as a hyped up meeting, but to know the Lamb of God who's actually taken our sin away and to behold him as the Lamb of God, to actually be partakers of the Lamb of God to actually know that we're his beloved children and he's well pleased with us. And that we would walk in the purity and in the power that he has for us. So as I was sharing, I was, I was, we were seeing incredible, we are seeing oil drip down our walls. We are seeing gold dust just appear in our living room. Incredible miracles were happening. People getting out of wheelchairs, the sick in, being healed. Amazing stuff was happening and uh, we, would, we were doing evangelism on the streets all the time. We were just seeing, we were just, you know, going after the things of God and we were just seeing incredible miracles take place. And I remember one day the Lord just knocked on my heart and he said, hey Liam, it's all really good what's going on in your life, but I miss you. And he, he said, you can be seeing all this stuff take place. Now, here's what we don't do. Often people say, oh, it's not about miracles. No, no. It's everything. Right? That's often used as an excuse because people are not seeing them. <laughs> right? Uh, don't, don't do that. Don't make the gospel lesser or something that Jesus... What did Jesus say? He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. These signs will follow those that believe. Don't discredit those because you're not seeing them in your life right now. He's the standard. Don't make an excuse or a theology because of what you're not seeing. He's the standard. It's Jesus. The standard is Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If he said it, we can, we can see it happen. Right? But if we're not careful... We'll settle for miracles. We'll settle for great worship church services. We'll settle for even revival when that's a lesser gospel than what Jesus paid for. The gospel that he paid for is that you and I would be free from sin but then live life and life abundantly in union with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's as simple as it gets. And if you add to that, you're preaching a different gospel. Don't do that. The gospel is simple. It's deep and profound, but it is simple. And if we're not careful, we'll try as leaders, as church people, we often try to feel, oh, we've got to, do, we've got to try and come up with a program or try and come up with this or try and come up with that. I'm not against those things. Is God speaking about those things? Awesome, let's do it. But if he's not, don't add to it. Don't be like the Galatian church that says, you foolish Galatians, what you've received by grace, you're now trying to get through works. And then he goes on, he says, this is how you live by the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. All right. I don't really have an altar call or anything other than I want you to know Jesus more intimately. So let's just pray for that. Put your hand on your heart.
Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that there are areas in our life that maybe we've just settled, we've leveled off at, where we've not come up higher, that you are inviting us as a church to come up higher right now. That our minds would be renewed into the spirit of truth. God, where we have settled for a lesser gospel, Lord, I pray that there would be a fire that would be stoked in our hearts this morning to come up to a higher place. That we would live in a higher reality where you've called us. That, that the 1 Corinthians 1, that, we, that who would instruct God yet we have the mind of Christ. That that would become more a reality in our life. I pray this for, for this house, Lord. I thank you for the Lamb of God. I thank you that we would be partakers of the Lamb of God. That we would not just nibble uh, on the things of Jesus, but we would have the full meal. We would eat the full lamb. God, I pray that we would eat the full lamb. We would be partakers fully of the divine nature. God, where we have settled just by our experience because we haven't seen something or we have seen something, I pray that we would come back to the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. That he is the truth that sets us free. He, we would know the truth. We would know the person of truth. Truth. I pray that we wouldn't just, just, that God wouldn't just have a relationship with us, but we would actually become a relationship with the Lord. We'd be living, walking epistles read by all men, that the outside world would actually see us and say, oh, those guys must be Christians. They must be little anointed ones. I pray, Lord, in this hour right now that we're in, as a church and as a nation and as a, as a region, I pray that there would be, like Paul said, there would be a coming back to, there would be a trust in the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to those that believe. I pray there'd be a trust in the gospel, a knowing in people's knower, an inner reality knowing that God is good enough to transform this world. That he is enough. Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you would convict us of anything that is just hindering our intimacy with you. And that we would come back to a place of knowing you intimately and deeply. And out of that place we get to operate in the authority and the power of God to see your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That you, church, carry the anointing of the Lord. You carry the oil of God. Stop thinking you don't have it. Stop thinking small thinking. Start to, to, start to think big thinking. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, can you, you can grab your seat?